after the podcast, the producer, Sarita Martin, asks several additional questions about these very interesting topics. Real quick, um, there's a couple more things I want to make sure we dig into. First, you mentioned restoration, restoration versus discipline. discipline. Oh, yeah. Can you speak a little, um, kind of educate <laughs> listeners on, first of all, what that difference is mm-hmm. and how it can make a difference in the interaction with a young person. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I mentioned discipline versus um, restoration, it's really important to know the way that you're coming about it. So discipline often results in a punitive action. So you did this bad thing, so you have to go sit in a corner or this thing has to happen. Rather than when you think about restoration, you're actually forced to dig a little deeper. You're actually forced to ask the question, like, why did this happen? And how can I meet you where you are at? Um, so um, immediate is just like, oh, you did you did this bad thing. You're going to go get beat rather than it being like, well, why did you take this food without permission? Well, I was hungry. Oh, well, why were you hungry? Because I haven't eaten in like <laughs> a couple hours. So it's forcing you to have to ask this question. So when I think about it in regards to students, most times what I'm realizing specifically like in black and brown schools are kids lack an emotional vocabulary. So because they lack an emotional vocabulary, they're only able to express themselves so much. And if us as teachers are not able to access, like, what are you actually trying to say? If we don't have the mindfulness and empathy to know exactly what you're trying to say to me without explicitly saying it, then that we're just gonna result in discipline. So oftentimes what I notice, especially with black educators are, we're frustrated because we either approach it with, this is what I wish I would have had growing up, or this is how I can coddle you, rather than being like, oh, wait, let me make a game plan with you and an agreement. As adults, you you hurt me. Hey, I feel upset because you did this and it made me feel this way. There's no real blame. It's just me acknowledging how I'm feeling. Cool. So when I was talking to the kid, I was like, the immediate thing, some teacher would be like, oh, you're not doing your work? Get out of my room. Oh, you are you got an attitude? Get out. Well, what made you lash out? What was that actual frustration? If I would have asked an extra three questions, I would have never known just that all he needed to do was type because he was insecure about his writing ability. His anger was bred from insecurity. It was not from him actually being angry at somebody. He was frustrated with himself. So that's the difference on like disciplining versus restoring and knowing I can come back into your classroom and we not have beef. We came back in the classroom with a game plan and you listened to me and you responded to my needs. That's a difference. Teach teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then you both kind of spoke to sped versus general ed classes, and how in a class you can have, let's say, a class of 20, you can have 15 kids that have IEPs. Can you both kind of speak to how do you build a lesson plan um, around a roller coaster worth of learning environment? So, normally when you're um developing a lesson plan depending on what your uh classroom makeup looks like it should be scaffolded anyway so because you're going to have kids that are at different levels and different abilities the difference is like with special education is that there's a drastic change in um deficiency so like in a normal general ed ninth grade class you'll have kids that are on their grade level equivalency which is ninth grade or they're a grade above right and you may even have a kid that may be 
an, on an 11th grade level as a freshman, but that's somebody that's considered gifted or, you know, highly functioning, whatever, whatever. So when you do that, you just have to modify, like if you give out a worksheet, let's say you give out a vocabulary test. Now, if traditionally you have matching or some type of um, definition-based stuff, for a SPED student, depending on how they discriminate, you might have to put those words in a box and number the choices or letter the choices. And then just so when they visually focus on something and they're answering the question, they know that these four options are going to go to these four questions, these four answers. So that's kind of like how you work on modifying and accommodating. And then other things like small group testing. So if Marquise is given a, a lit test, and um, a couple of his learners need small group, then somebody like I'll come and grab them or another person from the SPED department will get them and they'll test in another smaller, calmer, quieter environment. And it happens across the boards with any of our standardized tests. It happens with any of his benchmark or um, what do you call it? Formative and summative assessments. So it runs a, across that gambit and that's how you kind of adjust accordingly so that you can accommodate all the kids. Right. And it's also understanding even our how we have to approach students differently. There are about three students in my in one of my classes um, that I can't publicly call out because if they do that, they immediately shrink into themselves or their behaviors will start to arise because now you're just like, you put me on the spot. So it's even in terms of like who I can call on, who I can show their work, who I have to model for, reading out loud instead of making students read to themselves. Some of them have to have these different accommodations because a lot of our kids, I had them read two paragraphs on their own. It wasn't until I read it out loud and had them read it out loud. They were like, oh, it makes sense now. <laughs> and it's just, it's really little stuff like that. So understanding there are some students I can call out and they'll be okay. Other students I can't call out in a space of just like, stop doing that. So if I'm redirecting a student who's off task, I have to say, everybody needs to make sure that we are reading our text right now rather than being like, oh, Sarita, you're not doing what you're doing right now. Make sure you put your eyes back on your text. That student may assist immediately be escalated or frustrated because now you embarrass me in front of everybody. I think this is also trauma-informed teaching. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, knowing what your, your students are actually dealing with mm -hmm. outside of school or while they're engaged in the classroom. Mm. So and that his... um. The last, the other thing was the expressive and receptive language. Our kids lack, uh, struggle with that a lot, whether they're generous, bed, whatever the case may be, because they haven't been exposed to, again, like he was saying, talking freely and openly about feelings, emotions, about disagreements, about, um, and I told him the other day we were in, uh, King's, um, English 11 class. So we were talking about a root word and the opposition having an opposing view. And I, I did something with them. I said, this is just like you having an op. Mm. And they looked at me and it was like, oh. oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's an opposing view, but it doesn't have to go to violence. Like there's gonna be people that don't agree with you. Like it's real simple. Like, why do you have to be this sensitive well, to that? You don't agree with what yeah, I do. Like, <laughs> so you don't like me? Yeah. You hate me? Yeah. Oh, it's like a light bulb came on. I'm like, all right, teachable moment, score, cool, whatever. So it's like it's a lot of like trial I and think error. I need to use actually this right here 
in the workshops. So I'll have to credit you guys when I do that because this is important. Um, so I'm yeah. telling you, I, and it's been little things like just from trainings, from having conversations with coworkers, from talking to students as much as I do. Like you start understanding, like you have to come at them a different way. That's why the restorative and punitive thing is so um, beneficial and it'll establish a concrete relationship. Like if you're like, one of the first times I ever got spanked, my mom talked to me before she beat us. Like it was just, <laughs> you like you're no, you why are you about to get a spanking? You lied to me. Like, and I don't appreciate you telling me something that's not true, especially when I have to defend you. So, she used the moment and she was like, and this is part of the consequence. Like it's just that simple. So I've never not been talked to. So <laughs> I don't know how to like. My mom's not abusive. She none of that. It's just like this is you did this. This is the result. That's why I move on antecedent behavior and consequence, because mm-hmm. it's behavioral science. So, last two things. Mm-hmm. You mentioned hugging a student. What is it? What goes into you all having to navigate building emotional, um, even affectionate relationships with students as black male educators? Ooh, a question <laughs> and a half. <laughs> nah. Yeah. So. What does it take for me to build an emotional connection, especially as a black male teacher, to my students, correct? So it's hard, um, not as difficult, but it's difficult because they've their minds around having a black man as a teacher, you don't look at them as an authority figure sometimes. You have to really work to not be like their bro. Brother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're bros. When they see black women, it's difficult because they're just like, oh, you're like my mom. You're like a naggy mom. Yes. <laughs> like that's but that's real. So for them seeing black people and more specifically black men, when we develop these emotional connections and leading up to a hug, when I when I tell you I have seven students who come to my class before they go to their first period to get a hug from Mr. Richard. <laughs> Mr. Richard, I didn't get my hug this morning. Where were you at? <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. The the train was late. <laughs> but it takes a while for them to get to know like I'm a safe space, but I also rec- I also am consistently letting them know we are going to be excellent in this classroom. We are going to sometimes stumble, but it was me admitting when I made a mistake. I read a word wrong and they said, oh, you're human. You are regular and apologizing for saying, oh, that's my bad. I did not realize that I did that. Oh, this is dope. So let's have this conversation and affirm. But it takes a little bit more time. They see you day in and day out. So the consistency part is is crucial. But actually sitting there and how was your day? They they know my big thing. How you living? How you living today? <laughs> but because of them just asking, like, I'm good. And they look by, fist bump, fist bump, fist bump. Some of them are leaning in for the hug because some of them just need it. And so they start to see my fr- my freshmen now are seeing my old sophomores and juniors come in and be like, yeah, I just need a hug. Mr. Richards, like, I feel good around you. I appreciate you. Like, I feel safe in your room and I want to learn in your room. I have so many kids come to my room to go learn English in my class again. I said, go back to class, but I understand why you're here, but go back to class. <laughs> so it's just stuff like that where it takes time, but they, the more they see me model it, they know I, I say, hug your homies. If you hug your homies, you're really all right. You're all right. You're going to be good. But I'm big on like, take a seven second hug with somebody, pull in when you hug somebody, hold tight when you hug somebody. It legitimately releases endorphins if you hug somebody for seven seconds. 
So like if you do this thing and you do it properly instead of like I'm gonna dap you up and go like this, that's safe because at least you can't question my masculinity. But if you're in that space of like this is open, this is guarded, this is open, <laughs> um, they see the difference in that. But it makes them feel safe, feel vulnerable. And as it goes on within the next month, these kids will feel safe to make mistakes in the room. They'll be safe to ask me things. Hey, can I talk to you one-on-one -on -one in small group? The vulnerability piece builds because the school environment is naturally uncomfortable for a lot of our boys already. So I hope I answered that. Man, you guys got, I'm, I'm feeling the love. Right? Like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing for me. I need to hug somebody for seven seconds. different tomorrow. Yes, yeah. it is a difference. <laughs> hug somebody tight for seven seconds. You were just like, wow, this is so nice. <laughs> I'm to talk to some teachers tomorrow. <laughs> but also the, uh, this thing about having space to um, make mistakes. Mm. Um, I was actually talking to a colleague of mine um, yesterday just about like, you know, don't be so quick to judge people or to dismiss them or to think that like they're they're not where they're healing at a different pace, you know. And so thank you. Thank you for that. Let me tell you, therapy taught me how to humanize my parents right away. I said, <laughs> wow, we're all works in progress. <laughs> I guess I should allow some grace. We might not understand it as kids because mm -hmm. we're not fully developed emotionally. Mm -hmm. But as you learn to give people grace and give yourself grace, mm -hmm. then you're just like, ah, oh, you're human. Mm -hmm. And now I can lean into this. It's hard as kids to recognize that you're human. But I told my mom, I was like, mom, I never saw you sweat. So I didn't think it was okay to see for me to sweat and make a mistake mm. but she was like child i was still trying to figure it out and i said oh. <laughs> but after realizing like she didn't show us that she was sweating because she needed to just provide as a single parent mm. so boom from there i was just like oh i do have permission to make a mistake i do have permission to do this and when i say it out loud and you name it out loud kids are just like oh you're regular you're not just Mr. Rich. Oh, you're Mr. Marquise, Mr. Keys. Oh, I got it. It's that, and that's really a small thing, but it makes a world of a difference in terms of being vulnerable because now you are also flawed. And the irony and the symbolism is like when you look at the beginning when you started talking, they view our students view women in the building as similar to their mom. They view us like a brother, but they don't look at us like a father. Because there's an absence and there's a void that sometimes is not they don't have that reference point. There's a gap. Like they may have a grandfather that's around or they may be going through something. So that's why it's a little harder for them to look at us as an authoritative figure because they haven't been able to they don't really have that model that's been consistent. So that's where the, the hugging and, and the extracurricular stuff comes in that into play. With me it's not really my hugs are more conversations until they feel comfortable when they give me the um, signal or the sign that they want to, you know, have a hug or handshake or with a dat, whatever. Then that's when I move it to that. But most of the time it works through conversation. Once I talk to them and I show them like, yo, I don't really need because I tell them all the time, I don't have to be a jerk to you. Like I have a whole child at home. Like if I wanted to be abusive to somebody, if I wanted to demean somebody, like I could do it to him free of cost. Like. <laughs> I don't need to come here and jeopardize my job. So it's been like those moments where they start lowering their, their guard and they're like, oh, so you are human. You are really trying to help me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. So it makes them more open. Once they become comfortable, it's pretty much the sky's the limit. You can get them to do, you can mold them in whatever way 
you want to, but you need to remind yourself, like, you use your powers for good as opposed to evil because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you don't want to take advantage of such a, you know what I mean, an inexperienced person. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to guide them the wrong way. That's why I, I, I'm very authoritative in the fact of and in the means of keeping this line clear. Like, we're not the same at all. Mm-hmm. And I use the scale of the example. I'll ask them, how old are you? Like, if I'm having a conversation with a freshman, I'm 14. Well, I just turned 43. So be in between 14 and 43, there's nothing that we can argue about. Because mm. you're inexperienced in that sense. So you need to listen to what I'm telling you right <laughs> now. Now, once you reach these different benchmarks, then we can have different conversations. But we're not equal at all. Mm-hmm. So that's how I break through. That's how we get through to them. And it's like, for me, it's been beneficial and it, it's effective. Last thing. Well, but, it's one of the dogs. So that okay. we can be as um, concise as possible. Mm-hmm. Real quick, boys, Latin, majority black students? Predominantly black, predominantly male. Okay. So as black male educators, if you were talking to all of America right now, Based on your observations, what is the state of our young black boys? They're healthy. They're mindful at times. They're super intelligent. They're vigilant. Um, they're some. They're rough around the edges because they're inexperienced. Um, they will protect you. Some of them will take a bullet from me, and I know that for a fact. Because I we've been in situations where the kids have run to my aid, like, and there wasn't even it wasn't even serious, but once they are vested in you, they're going to protect you, support you. Like I have a brand. Some of them I used to resell sneakers. They would be out there with me. I would pay them. Like it, it was a bunch of different experiences that we had. So, like I said, I coach baseball. So all those little things make them healthier make them better i mean boys latin overall is a very family oriented environment and space and i wouldn't have been there for 10 years if i didn't feel like the boys were getting what they needed and um could contribute to the outside world when they leave there for the most part um for me my space is when i'm thinking about for everybody else and when they're interacting with these black boys in education, you're traumatizing them as early as kindergarten. We have to ensure that education is a safe space as early, as soon as they step into these walls. A lot of these boys are socially numb. They are scared, they are lonely. That is a very real thing. Take an extra second to invest in a black boy before saying he has too much energy, before saying he has an attitude before he is told that you are being a disruption in class because you decided to challenge my idea of what should have been the truth. If we start learning how to lean into these black boys and not hurting them first time they enter the school space, which is supposed to be a safe haven, then we're doing a disservice. So if you are teaching a black boy, why are you teaching them? What is your motivation? How are you invested in them? Take that extra step, take that extra 15 before you just dismiss them off. That's my call for anybody in, when I'm thinking about the state of black boys and those of us who are also equipped or armed with the task of teaching them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.